Welcome back to the Montgomery Company's podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery, and today I am with a dear friend, a man who's really become a brother and a trusted source of inspiration and encouragement for me on a frequent basis. We met about a year ago. Shout out to Matt Revisevich, our good friend in Milwaukee. And uh, from the day we've met, I've become just incredibly fond of of Ken Locke. He has uh, imparted so much wisdom and we've shared so many laughs. And I know that you're going to get better and grow over the next 30 to 45 minutes because this dude is for real. Check this out. He is the pastor at Evolve Church in Milwaukee. He is the youngest NBA chaplain in NBA history. He's currently the chaplain for the Milwaukee Bucks. He also happens to be the team barber. We all know that good things happen at the barber shop. Ken has grown so many amazing relationships uh, with the athletes in Milwaukee. He is a, a source of uh, wisdom and influence for um, so many on the Milwaukee Bucks roster and throughout the city of Milwaukee. He's a speaker. He is a future author, currently working on a book. We're going to talk more about that. He's married to Crystal. They have two beautiful children. So he's a husband and a father. And it is with uh, great pleasure in my honor to introduce my guy, Ken Locke. Welcome to the podcast, brother. Man, listen, I'm excited to be here. I, I absolutely love the intro because it's just, man, I, I feel important when, when Jordan introduces me, man. I feel really important. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I could, I could go on and on. I mean, you, you know, you've accomplished a lot in a, in a short amount of time. And, you know, but one of the things, man, I just love so much about you and, and our interactions is um, you make everybody feel important. You're always present. And you Thank lead you. with great humility. You're so relatable. People want to follow you because they can connect to you. And when you talk to Ken, you feel like you get the real Ken. Man, so we're going to talk you. about leadership. Man, I want to hear about your journey with the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I want to hear about the barbershop. I want to hear about how Evolve Church got started and what God's doing there and what he's up to. But before we get into any of that, man, take us back to the beginning because you have a crazy family story that really shapes so much of who you are today. So Take us back to the early years of Ken Locke. Our audience needs to hear this. Man, so, all right, let me paint this picture. Imagine me sleeping on the floor. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but I really did. I was raised in a humongous family, uh, 12 kids total, 10 girls, two boys. I'm the oldest boy and the first son. So my parents had six girls. My dad was praying for a son. He's like, God, if you're real, just show me. And then here, here come I, right? <laughs> Uh, lucky number seven is this first boy. <laughs> he runs through the hospital, loses his mind. Um, but with that being said, I was raised in a huge family, 12 kids, both parents in the household. We were raised in a two-bedroom household. So imagine 14 people in a two-bedroom household. I slept on the floor until I was a teenager. Uh, humble beginnings, man. You know, we, we learned how to be close <laughs> because there's just like four people in each room. So you, you're going to learn how to really be close and uh, you also learn how to share, right? So you learn what it is to not have anything on your own and to understand that everything you do affects the person that loves you. So we got a chance to really grow uh, close relationships, but been, been raised in that kind of environment. I, I was my dad as a pastor, so I was obviously raised in faith. Um, drifted away from it for a, for a little while because, you know, any, most kids that are raised in church, we grew up and we think, I want to find my own thing. But it was uh, amazing for me that I had my own experience with God. And 
uh, drew me back close to faith and never thought I would be a faith leader, which is crazy. I always knew I was going to be a public speaker, though. So I was the 18 year old kid listening to John Maxwell and Les Brown. So I don't know why, but it's just that's just what I was drawn to. But never planned on being uh, a pastor. But uh, by God's grace, I am where I am today. So uh, big on family, huge on family. Well, anybody who's ever spent time with you or listened to you and even listening now knows that you have the gift of communication, man. God, God's hand is all over you. He gave you a Thank gift you, of using your words to articulate and impact people. And, and I've been impacted by you that way, man. So um, pray, praise God for that gift. Um, Thank you. Hey, I, I, I want to I uh, talk about how you've evolved professionally. And yeah. you, you wear multiple hats. And yeah. um, if I were to describe, if somebody said to me, hey, what's made Ken's story different? Or what's, what's been the mark on Ken's life with, you know, how does this guy get into the, the NBA working as the youngest NBA chaplain? And he's a pastor at a major church. I mean, this isn't a, a small thing. This is, you're, you have influence over a lot of people. And I think you've been blooming where you've been planted. There's that old yeah. adage, like, if you want to have influence that others don't have, you got to do things that others don't do. And you've been doing some mm-hmm. things that others don't do. So, can you take us back to, um, you know, before we get into, you know, working with the Bucks and what, what were some of the early stage lessons for you, maybe stories or life lessons that you learned about leadership and influence and, and where did your sort of leadership journey begin? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think that my first leadership journey started in high school. Um, I was a, a captain of three sports and uh, but I was a believer in high school. And so already I had to deal with you know, playing sports, being a believer, dealing with the peer influences of, all right, are you going to you know, fall in line with your peers or are you going to stand out? You know, my mom would always, she would dig in. You don't, you know, you don't follow your friends. You, you continue to lead. And at that time, I wasn't calling myself a leader. I just knew that I didn't want to follow the craziness that was going on in school. So mm. I always, I was always one of those kids that, you know, we raised, when you're raising a, I don't want to call it just strict poverty, but when you're raised in a, in a lean lifestyle, you are always trying to think of how can I get ahead? Like, how can I? So I was 18 years old and I'm like, how can I do it? And I was like, I gotta be like network marketing. So I was that kid. He was like doing everything. I was an Amway. <laughs> I'll sell you insurance. All of that, right. Like my, my first, my first weekend Amway, I had like 10 downline and, and 10 people on my team. They're like, it's just no way. Like, how does this kid have so many people on his team? He's like six days old. And I didn't know what I was selling, but I knew how to get people to buy in. Right. Come on. And so, it was just more like a, hey, let's listen. I believe that this this is the next wave. Like, this is where we step to the next level. And people were joining our team, so I learned early that I was a leader. And uh, at that time, there were a lot of people trying to grab a hold of me because you know network marketing. It's all about who you get on your team. So, so I was invited to conferences and speaking. Uh, but then my faith kind of became serious for me. And the reason it became serious is because I got married young. Man, I got I was twenty mm. years old, still in college when I got married, and. I got married because I'm like, I love her. You know, I want to do the right thing. I got married and, and quickly I was, I was like, oh, oh, right. Like if, if, if I don't, if God doesn't help me, <laughs> I don't know how this is going to sustain. Like we were arguing and she was mad. I was mad. You know what I mean? Like we just, it was so much back and forth <laughs> in that first year. And so that's when I became serious about, uh, about faith and about, you know, about marriage. So mm. got serious in faith. And then I started reading every book I could on marriage, love and respect, 
uh, the love there, uh, love languages. Like I just, I was just consuming mm. book after book after book, not even recognizing that these would be things that I would use later to uh, add value to other people. Uh, so so it's, it was kind of a journey where I, I almost feel as if I stumbled into it. And if I could tell people like I, I accidentally became something, it would sound like I'm telling you a story, but, <laughs> but that wasn't my original goal. My original goal was, trying to make money, <laughs> but I ended up becoming so many other things. Well, let, let's talk, before we talk about who you became in these other spheres, let's talk yeah. about who you became as a husband, because I think that's a good place yeah. to start. And I yeah. know that you value leadership in the home, and I know that you're leading in your home. And yeah. so, man, you you and Crystal, I think, had this Facebook Live session that you did, yeah. and all these people kind of flocked to this session, and then all of a sudden you became known as like the marriage couple as yeah. I understand it. So, so walk me through that story and then help me understand how you've been helping other people um, through their marriage journey. Yeah, so it started just as that. We were sitting on the couch. This is before um, our lives got busy with uh, kids. My daughter wasn't born at this time yet. I only had my son. So he was in bed at night. It was like, dude, I kid you not, it was 9 p.m. Like, this is how late it was. It wasn't like a, a 4 or 5 p.m. In, you know, in the evening, it was 9 p.m. And we were like, yo, we should jump on Facebook Live and just talk to other young married couples and other young couples you know, discussing marriage. And so we got online, we started talking. Next you know, we had like 300 people following our journey. And so we quickly became the marriage couple to where people were reaching out like, hey, can we just meet with you guys so we can talk to you about our marriage? And I'm like, I mean, I'm not a marriage counselor, but sure, I'll, you know, we'll meet with you. Six months later, we had 35 couples. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, wow. In our home, in like the second bedroom, right? Because we put a couch up and we would just meet with people. And we were telling people like, hey, you know, we're not actually marriage counselors. Like, yeah, but you're helping us. Mm. Yeah, but you're helping us. And uh, my, I looked at my wife one time and I said, all of those years of reading books, trying to be a better husband, I didn't know there was training ground for me to be able to help other men who would soon come into that same space. And uh I learned so much about marriage in that time before we started talking to other couples. We learned so much about marriage with just her and I, because we definitely got married as infants. My, my understanding of marriage was infantile and excuse the word, you know, a sophomoric, if you would, like it was very young. <laughs> and, I, and I thought that if you just love somebody that, that you would just figure it out. And I didn't know anything about the concept of a love of a wife mimics the love of a husband. Um, I didn't know that, you know, women are naturally nurturers and that they are reproducers. So, so they will birth whatever you put in them. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it, I mean, it was, it was so much I didn't learn. And I'm sitting right here like, why is she like this? And I'm frustrated. And I know I'm a perfect husband. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're right. terrible. Oh, you're man. <laughs> And a lot of husbands can't admit that. Like, dude, you're terrible. You really suck at communication. You really think you know more yes. than what you know. And you should yes. just be quiet. Like, you're, you're, you're not emotionally <laughs> intelligent. <laughs> and even with 10 sisters, I had to learn more how to communicate with women because they, they process predominantly through emotion and we process predominantly through, through intellect. And so there was mm. always just a misfire. And the more mm. I understood that no matter what I say, if I disregard her emotion, it's not going to matter to her because she cannot function if I do mm. not give attention to her emotion. The same way I cannot function if it doesn't make sense to me. I have to mm. make it make sense because me and I operate off of intellect. So that's the long way around. But yeah, that's how we got there. That's a good word, man. You got it. Hey, there's a future book and Ken and Crystal Lott 
on marriage. I can I can see it now. It's coming, man. It's coming. Absolutely. Well, you're, yeah, you're 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 known for a lot of things, man. You're known for uh for for marriage and helping people through their marriage. Yeah. Um, but you've just been uh you've been a trusted source of counsel for a lot of people who have influence. And again, yeah. I think because you've been faithful with a little, God's positioned you to be faithful with many. And um and 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 you've been entrusted to lead in some really unique spaces. And so what people want to hear about, uh, because our world's crazy about sports, and I know you're getting asked all the time about the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, so the champs. You're, you're the champs. You got the ring. He's got the there attire go. on. Yeah. If you're listening right now, instead of watching, he's got the he's got the attire on. You just got the ring. It's been a special yeah. year for you. Um, but why, why don't you take us back to the to the early days of working with the Bucks? How did that happen? Um, how did you how did you get in the door with the Milwaukee yeah. Bucks? Yeah, fun story. So I was a barber by trade, and the reason I was a barber was because I liked cutting hair, and because I was good at it. I started cutting my hair when I was a kid because my mom used to cut my hair and jack it up. I mean, she made it. She did such a terrible job. My mom birthed my entrepreneurialism all because she was tearing my haircuts up. So I, I, I went in the bathroom one day and I took the cribbers and I said, man, I, I have to know how to do better than this. If I can do better than this. And so I started cutting my own hair. I started cutting my brother and my cousins. And so I was actually cutting hair as a way to get my way through school. So I was in school with psychology and theology. But I was like, man, like, you know, I'll cut hair on the side. And I ended up starting making six figures cutting hair on the side. And so I was like, what if I kept doing this? Like, I, I probably could keep doing this because being a barber, I'm also kind of like a therapist. I, I kind of enjoy both of them. Um, and so I started cutting hair and a player got traded to the Milwaukee Bucks who went to another barber. He didn't like it. He went on Twitter, said, first day in Milwaukee, worst haircut of my life. His name was Jared Dudley. And so somebody sends him my information like, hey, we got a guy for you. I go and I cut his hair. We become good friends. He starts coming to my dad's church at that time. He tells some of the other players, I go back the next week, I cut a guy named OJ Mayo, uh, then another guy named Jabari Parker. And then while I was cutting Jabari Parker, the skinny kids, maybe 2004, 2015, this skinny, scrawny, 6'11 kid named Giannis Antetokounmpo comes in. And he's like, you know, bro, can you cut my head? And I'm like, yeah, bro, like, <laughs> come on, I take care. But he wasn't important at this time, right? He was like the little pushover. I made him wait to last. <laughs> wait, let me get the important guys out the way, and then I'll cut you. It's great. funny now. He hears this. He'll beat me up. But uh, <laughs> I cut him, and at the end of the year, the team comes in and says, hey, you're cutting everybody's hair. Do you want to be on contract? And I was like, absolutely. I would absolutely love to be on contract. And so I became the team barber officially in 2015. Um, and after becoming a team barber, everything else pretty much just unveiled through the relationships, through trust and communication. Well, the, the Milwaukee Bucks have had this rise and I'm just going to attribute it to the team barber and to the NBA chaplain, Ken Locke. So uh, <laughs> no, I'll just say this and I don't want to say anything about me, but let's just say they did not rent win until I started praying for them before every game. I'll just say that. There you go. Come on, man. <laughs> God use you. He was up to something. He was up to something. Um, but but let's so let's talk about this though because because truly the franchise. I mean, it becomes a winning organization. Yeah. Then it becomes a championship organization. Yes. And you love to talk about this idea of championship DNA. Now this is interesting. Yes. So this is this is heavy note taking time. Uh, Ken's about to drop some wisdom. When you think about championship DNA, what's that Correct. mean to you? 
No, see, when you look at championship DNA, I was blessed to be with the team since 2014. And so I got a chance to watch us struggle and win only 15 games in one season, an entire season, all the way to being the current NBA champions. And there, there's, a, there's a lot of components that I'm writing in, in my book right now, the, uh, the DNA of champions. But at the same time, there's like three main things that I started to notice um, that, that really stick out. And it comes in three different players as I'm talking about a team. But if you're talking about an individual, all three of these should be in one person. So in, in every championship team I studied, it, it gave me this idea of I looked at the Chicago Bulls, I looked at the Lakers, I looked at the Spurs. I looked at every single dynasty that was able to win multiple championships. And you find these three things on all of them. One of them, there's always a person that has a crazy work ethic. There's always one person who it doesn't matter if anybody else shows up, if anybody else is ready, if everybody else sleeps in, there was one person that is always going to show up and put his body on the line. For the Bucks, that was Giannis. Giannis worked so freaking hard that the GM and the coach had to change the codes on the doors to lock him out because mm-hmm. they, were, they were afraid that he wasn't giving his body enough rest. I don't think I've ever heard a coach say, I'm locking you out of the gym <laughs> because <laughs> if I don't, you won't stop showing up. I mean, he's showing up at 9 a.m. for two hours before practice. He practices. Everybody else leaves. He goes and he works out, goes home, takes a nap, eats food, comes back for evening practice. And the, t- and, the, and the coach is like, I don't even think that this is sustainable. So this guy just has a work ethic like crazy, like, like you wouldn't believe. And every championship team, every dynasty had a guy who was willing to put everything he had into it. All right. Mm. And then you got to have another guy who's a, who's a guy that is an IQ guy, right? So this IQ guy is always the second guy. This guy is, he may, he may not have the freakness to put his body on the line, but the way that he sees the game and the way that he understands the game has to be like top of the line. So every single dynasty, there was one person on there where somebody says, this dude is freaking smart. Like this mm-hmm. dude gets it. This dude understands it. He sees angles before everybody else sees angles. He predicts outcomes before anybody else predicts outcomes. He never underestimates the opponent. He treats everybody with the respect of we can lose, right? So appropriate fear. Um, and, and for us, that's Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton is an IQ guy, silky smooth stroke. He can shoot the ball. He um, has a nice ball handle. You know what I mean? Uh, he, he, he has some Kobe-esque footwork. So I can't say Kobe, but you know, Kobe-esque. Kobe-ish, if you would, yeah. footwork. And, and, and that's always um, like that, that uh, a second dominant personality that's on the team if you want anything to have the DNA of champions. The third personality, though, is actually the one that I think is the most important, and it, and it, and it doesn't get any credibility in any of these championship dynasties, and that is there is always a person who is doing equal amount of work to numbers one and two but he doesn't care about recognition. Mm. This is always a person who does not get recognized and it's okay. He's not going to go get on a podcast and say, nobody recognized me. He's not going to jump on ESPN and say, I don't get the credibility, but he's putting in the work. And for us, that was Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday is like, Hey, I don't need to write a book. I don't need to, I don't, I don't need my name mentioned. I don't have to be an all-star. Even though if you look at the percentages, Best three-point percentage on the team, best mid-range percentage, best one of the best defenders on the team. 
He held the best offensive guard on every team under their average defensively, but, but nobody really knows it. And he's never really tooting his own horn. And so I started looking at dynasties and I, and I said, wow, every championship team, if you think about Miami, it was Chris Bosh who came from a team averaging 25 and 12 and was cool. Yeah. being a guy that averaged 18 is like, nobody said, everybody says LeBron and D-Wade, but nobody talks about the power four. He was averaging 18 and 10, right? Like nobody talks about it, but it's just like, he flies under the radar. And that's that third person who was always saying, I would do the work whether or not I get the recognition. And that, if you put those three together, those all make up the three components you need in order to really be a champion in your own life. Mm. Those three things, the, the, the work ethic, number one, what is your work ethic? What are you putting into your craft, right? Talent is what you have naturally. Skill comes from hours and hours and hours of beating on your craft. So what are you putting into your craft? Number two, IQ. What do you understand about your craft? And this is the part that I think people don't pay attention to. You can work all day, but if you're working wrong, it's not going to work. It's like the guy that says, dude, I want to be a good basketball player. So Come I on. swim 10 hours a day. Every yeah. day I'm in the pool getting my strokes up. And it's like, hey, brother, that doesn't translate. You can swim all you want to, but if you're not putting in the right work, it's not going to work. So, if so good. Is, you know, perfect practice makes perfect. So not just practice makes perfect, but perfect practice makes perfect. Because if you practice terrible every day, you can't expect to perform perfectly. It's just not reality. And then the third one is the ability to continue when you don't get the recognition. That is mm. one of the hardest ones. But when you pour your, your time into it, you studied your craft, it is now not a talent, it's a skill. You put your body on the line and then you go out and you don't get the recognition or you don't get the invite mm. to speak or, or they don't read the book or whatever it is. Can you continue to have the same level of momentum and inspiration? Whether or not anybody applauds what it is that mm. you bring to the table. And I think for anybody that's going to be a champion, those are the three components you need for sure. Work ethic, IQ and humility. Yes. Right. And, and, and yes. it's amazing what you can accomplish when nobody cares who gets the credit. And, and you know, I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just say this, man, like I think you're I think you're um, all three of those things on some level. But but as you were saying that, like you were that for the bucks. Um, <laughs> I think you're that in a lot of spheres that you're a part of. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm here to serve. I'm here to give. You don't need to be the center of attention. Um, no. But yet you're so capable and you're so impactful with people. Um, one of the things that makes you so impactful is you're such a gifted communicator. Uh, and I believe you. this, that, that leaders are generally great communicators. Absolutely. And communicators generally make great leaders. And I'd be remiss, man, if, if we didn't talk about communication in this yeah. conversation, because you are one of the most gifted communicators. Your, your ability yeah. to articulate ideas and thoughts and move people emotionally. I think, I think great speakers make people feel something. And, and you make people feel something when you talk. You move people emotionally. So, so I, I want to talk about the art of communication. And, and you're speaking a lot to, to large amounts of people. So we could go different directions with this. But, but here's what I want to ask you. When you think about the art of communication, when you think about being an effective communicator, because we got a bunch of leaders listening, I want them to hear from Ken Locke on what makes you, what makes a person an effective communicator. Man, honestly, my number one, and this may not be popular opinion, is compassion. 
And the reason I say it's compassion is because mm. I actually care about the crowd I'm speaking to. Mm. Like, I, 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 so there is a temptation to be, to be drawn to crowds. And, and what I say is that a lot of people love crowds, but they don't love people. So a lot of communicators love crowds. If you, if you, they'll Ooh. ask, well, what size is the crowd? Is it okay. 1,000? Is it 3,000? It's probably like, whoo, they get, they get, I mean, they get stoked. Like, man, I spoke in front of 10,000 people. Woo! Like, all right, cool. And then once I'm done, what, where's the back door that I can leave out of? Because I, I don't actually care about the people. I don't care about the mom who this speech helped her become a better mother because she was struggling with her daughter or the man who said I'm a better husband because of what you communicated, or the, the, the young adult who's trying to find a way and saying, but I saw a bit of myself in you. And so like, you stopped me from self-harm and, uh, or you stopped me from going down a spiraling path because I actually love people. I'm communicating from a space of every person I speak to is a beating and sometimes bleeding heart the exact same way that I was when somebody spoke life into me, right? When somebody added value to me. And when you start to care about people, you're, you're just more careful, right? You, you, you're more intentional. It is more connecting. John Maxwell said it all the time. Many can communicate, few can connect. And I really believe that connecting is only about compassion. It's when I actually understand that you are a person that is looking for guidance or looking for help, or maybe you're, you need something that you don't know you need. If I, can, mm. if I get a chance to show compassion to you, it is so much easier to connect and to communicate. And you see it happen all the time. You will see a person that says, I'm an introvert. I don't know how to communicate. And then you will put their child in front of them. And you will hear like so many loving words just, just roll yes. off the tongue. Like you're loved. You're beautiful. You're, and I'm like, hey, I thought you couldn't communicate. Like, yeah, but this is my child. But they're really saying is, yeah, but I love them. Like there's a love I have for them. So of course I can't communicate to them, but I don't. I don't really know you. It's <laughs> hard to communicate. That is good. That is good. If you need to go back, uh, listen to that again. I want to make sure you capture that if you're listening. And I also want you to repeat this. You said a lot of people love crowds, but they don't love people. Oh man, this is this. that that uh, that I needed to hear. We all need to hear that and be reminded of that. You know, this is about yeah. people. It's about staying others focused and. And you know, when, when I'm ineffective in my communication, Ken, it's typically when I'm focused on myself. I'm focused more on what I'm saying and not enough on what people are hearing. You know, And so, so when you said that, man, I was just so convicted. Um, having compassion is simple and as basic as that sounds. Man, that is undervalued and underestimated Absolutely. in terms of its Absolutely. I believe I believe it's hugely undervalued because I think that there is something about the size of a crowd that, that strokes our ego and whether or not we want to accept it, whether or not we yeah. want to admit it, the larger your crowd, the, the more you feel as if you have arrived because you realize you have influence over more people. Mm. But when you stop and hear what you're saying slower, how could you not have compassion? When you stop and say, whoa, I have influence over more people. Mm. Come on. Wow. Like, when I let that sit on me, there's, there's, there's 5,000 people who stopped their life to give me 30 minutes to speak, right? And I had an opportunity to change or augment the trajectory of their life. And if I use that moment just to see how well I can put together three points, I really missed 
the whole purpose of what I'm here to do. <laughs> like I missed, wow. I missed it pretty bad. Gosh, that's good, man. Thank you. Thank you for this. That man, that is so good. Yeah, uh, so many people need to hear uh, so much of what you're saying, man. And, and um, I want to talk about, cause w- when you think about the crowd and, yeah. you, and you just talked about um, leading people, being compassionate, staying others focused. And, and really I started thinking about stewardship. Um, yes. because, because you've been entrusted with a big crowd, a big church, a church that's grown. And I want you to talk yeah. about this. Evolve Church in Milwaukee has had explosive growth. God is up to something Absolutely. in your church. Absolutely. And, and I think for a young um, type A gifted leader, there could be traps, right? Like, Absolutely. hey, my church is growing. I'm working with the bucks. Um, I have influence over many. Uh, I'm, I'm a good looking guy that people are drawn to. So, so how are you guarding against some of those traps or, or potholes and, and what are you doing around um, stewardship uh, yeah. just to protect yourself and take care of yourself and your family, Ken? Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of have a unique perspective in that I work with NBA players. And so getting a chance to work with NBA players, I, um, I got a chance to see the, the backside of the sport, which can sometimes be a dark side. And I, I try to walk lightly. But, but just kind of shed some, some light on it. Um, when you're playing the, the, the sport of basketball, there are, there are hundreds of thousands of people who love you and, 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 and they just admire getting a handshake, a hug, a signature, a shoe, a jersey. And you're like, man, like this, this love is so overwhelming. And what you start to realize is that it's not as much that they love you, but that they love what you produce. Mm. They, they, they mm. love what they get from you, which is a good show. And after 12 years, for most people, 10 years for some, of playing basketball, you sometimes feel as if you're nothing because all of your identity was wrapped inside of what you do and not, and not who you are. Mm. And so people come out of basketball and watch this, Jordan, in their early 30s and are lost because they have absolutely no identity. And what am I when I put this ball down? Mm. What am I? The last 10, 12 years of my life has literally been shrouded with people, voices, commentators, uh, um, news reporters, right? And like everybody cared about me as long as my production was there. But the moment I stopped producing, I feel as if I've lost my value. So people struggle with depression. They struggle with drugs. They struggle with... You know, just needing constant psychotherapy, trying to figure out where is it that I am. And so by me getting a chance to see that I saw a very glaring problem, and that problem was, you know, whenever we identify ourselves and what we do, that is fine as long as what we do is successful. But it is terrible when what we do begins to drop. And so we look at our church and say, wow, we grew over 1,500 in three years, over 2,000 now. And, and that's not like our total numbers. If I use the total numbers, it was, it's somewhere towards 4,000. That's the, that's the hot numbers that pastors give themselves. Yeah, but I'm talking yeah. about the actual people that show up. Not yeah. everybody that ever came, but the people that show up every weekend. But in all of those numbers, one day, all of this will be gone. Here's the reality. One day, I won't be leading anybody. All I will have is the, the lives I've poured into my wife and my children. Mm. And when you realize that, and I know that from an old man who told me that as well, when you realize that you stop finding your identity and what you do, and you find your identity and who you are, and then you do from who you are. So, mm. so who I am is a husband and a mm. son 
right? And a father, and I, and I live in that. I'm that every single day. So regardless of if I produce, I'm still a son and a father and a husband, whether my speech was well, whether they read the book, <laughs> like no matter what happens, I'm a son, I'm a father, I'm a husband. And when I lean into that, and when I get joy out of serving and out of applause, if the hand clap stop, I still have joy because I know who I am. That is a sermon well preached. We just went to church. So there you go. Uh, for some people, this is, that's, that's, the, that's the church service for the week. Um, that was incredible. And um, you, you, said, you said this, you said people are praising you sometimes for what you do instead of who you are. And that creates Correct. all kinds of identity issues for all of us, right? Whatever that thing is, right? It's, if it's speaking, if it's leading in business, if it's playing a sport or playing an instrument, if it's acting, whatever that is for you, um, I think all of us are guilty of that, right? That like we oh. lean into and we value when we covet the praise yeah. of people. Um, man, John no, Maxwell said it this way. He said... Um, he said, uh, they're not praising you, they're praising the gift inside of you. That is so true. Come on. Right? And, and, and Come the gift on. was given to you, and it can be taken away. And so, therefore, we got to understand all good gifts come from above. Come um, on, brother. And I think when Come you on. give credit to the Father, and, and um, you can point it back to the Lord, things, things tend to work out. Um, no, absolutely. I, I think, just really quickly, because of what the, the space that we're in, is that when you remember that it is a gift and that people are praising the gift and not praising you, the reason, because you talked about traps earlier, that was kind of the question in stewardship. How do we avoid traps? The reason you can't add value to yourself or you can't get your value from what you're producing or what you're doing is because that's a very slippery slope and you can become a very bad person with a really good product. And that is how you lose yourself. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. You, you, you can become a very bad person with a really good product. And that is how people lose themselves because you're thinking as long as I'm producing, as long as the tickets are selling, as long as they're showing up to the conference, as long as they're buying the book, I'm good. And then people find out later, whoa, this person has such a dark space that they were stuck inside of because they were not well. But, but your wow. gift will work with or without your wellness. You, you can be very unhealthy oh. and still be able to let your gift work. You could be a bad person with a, with a good product. Oh, man. We see it oh, all the time. God. That's in right. Sports yeah. and speakers and pastors, unfortunately. <laughs> we see it that you can be a, you can be a bad person yeah. with a really good product. <laughs> all right. So I want, I want to land this plane by helping people with that because- yeah. You are somebody that's not only helping uh, others to communicate or think differently. I mean, you're helping people with their mindset and their perspective yeah. and, and, and their hair, right? You're fixing their hair. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you're also helping people with their soul and, and with their identity. And, um, and there's some people listening, Ken, and, and we speak about faith very openly on this podcast. There's yeah. some people listening that have questions and they're wrestling yeah. with their identity or, you know, what, what do I believe in? And you're probably stirring some emotion and some thought in yeah. some of our listeners right now. And so, and so if, if you're listening and maybe you're the person that's thinking like, I, I believe a lot of what Ken's saying, but I don't totally understand it. And they're talking about, you know, staying connected to the vine and, and avoiding, yeah. you know, potholes. Like I would just love for you to speak um, candidly and lovingly to that person and help them understand uh, what faith means to you. Yeah. And, um, and, and do that in your own way, if, if, if you would. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me just start by saying for any person that's listening to this podcast that may be saying, Do you know what? I, I, I don't, I, I agree with what you're saying. It resonates with me, but I really don't know about God. And I just want to comfort you and just ease any frustration by saying, even if you don't know about God, God knows about you. Um, it's okay. It's okay to say, I, I have questions. I've had questions. Okay to say I have doubts. I've had doubts. And what I love is that God met me at my level of faith. And even when that level of faith was 0.00008, <laughs> he still met me there. And uh, my journey was, you know, like I said, I walked away from faith. I was like questioning if it could add value to me. And I did find myself in a dark place. And my dark place wasn't uh, like some people was as, as grim as, oh, I was strung out on drugs or I was in prison. And I'm not saying this to be facetious or to make a joke about people who have experienced that because those are real struggles. But mine was as simple as laying down in bed and not finding a purpose for wanting to live because I could not figure out why I was here. And being alive while not knowing why you're here can sometimes feel like death. And so I just want to speak life to you and realize that you have purpose, you have value, and that God is okay with meeting you where you are. And even if your prayer is God, I don't know who you are, but I do want to know. You're real. Can you just help me? I believe that God will meet you right there. So keep your heart open. Um, if, if, as long as you're open, God can come in. He can speak life. He can add value. He can touch you because if he created you, he knows what the creation needs to be whole. So I want to tell you, I appreciate you. Brother, that's an exclamation point on a powerful conversation. And I yeah, just appreciate you. uh, your spirit so much, man. I appreciate the way you think, the way you operate, the way you conduct yourself. Appreciate uh the partnership and the friendship that we share. And um, and I know other people are going to want to follow you after hearing you. And they want more Ken Locke in their life. And so uh, so here, here's, what I, <laughs> here's what I'd love for you to share before I ask you for any final words of wisdom. Um, where can people find you right now? I know where to find you, but help our listeners understand where to find you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm on Facebook at Kenneth Locke II, also on Instagram as well, at uh, Kenneth Locke II. Um, and so if you wanted to contact me, I have an uh, email at connect at KennethLockII.com. And um, everything else will come from that. So, I mean, any, you know, our books and every my book, I don't say, book, well, books, plural, I'll speak that, books, plural. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> but the one I'm working on right now, um, you know, God's grace will be released this year. So super excited to just add life and, and, and value to as many people as I can. And, and when I say that I love people, I, I genuinely mean that. Genuinely, yes. Let me even do some, my, my, yeah. my wife oftentimes, <laughs> she doesn't want to take me in public. She's like, you're going to find somebody to love on and talk. We don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> to know Ken Locke is to know a lover of people, man. You are, you are magnetic. You are magnetic. Oh, yeah. Thank you, bro. That's not thank a joke, you. man. Um, hey, we'll be sure to uh, add all of your social media handles in the show notes. So okay. if you're listening to this podcast and you're driving down the road and you didn't catch that, check out the show notes. All of Ken's social media handles and contact information will be in the show notes. This guy has a speaking career that's blowing up. Yeah, uh, he's got a book coming out. He has a church uh, that he pastors and so many people that he uh, leads and takes care of. And uh, I, man, I get to be one of those people. I get to learn from you. I'll be friends with you, be around you. Such a blessing. Such an honor, man. (laughs) I can Uh, tell you are such a phenomenal leader by the questions you ask. Let me say this. This is I've I've been on so many podcasts lately. I don't know what's just happened, but this is like genuinely been my my 
my favorite one. And I, and I think it's because of the questions you ask. It's almost like, you know, it makes a, it makes a person want to answer and want to share. So I appreciate you. Well, I continue to learn this about leadership, man, but I think it is about the questions you ask. It's not about the information that you share. And so uh, you, are a, you are a great question asker. You're curious too. Appreciate that about you, man. Thank um, you. All right, all right. We're gonna, we're gonna leave it right here. But before we sign off, anything that you want our audience to know, to hear, any final words of wisdom as we sign off? A big yeah. thought. Let's hear it. Yeah, absolutely, man. My mantra in life is love God, love people, love yourself. And uh, I think that you know, all of this comes down to those three things. God is faith for me. And so if you're not there, I'm absolutely okay with it. I still love you. I promise I do because I love people, <laughs> right? And then also love yourself. I do think that our version of loving people is broken because the way that we love ourselves is broken, all right? And so the faith system that I believe is to love others, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you struggle with loving you, uh, it's understandable, understanding why you can be so critical of others. But I'm just not as critical of others because I love me and I know that I need as much grace as possible. So I extend as much grace as possible. So love God. Come on, love man. People, That's a good love word. Yourself. <laughs> love God. Love people. Love yourself. Go check out Ken Locke on social media. He's got yeah. a book dropping soon. The DNA of Champions. Go follow Evolve Church. Here, Ken, preach. This guy brings the word of God unlike anybody I've ever met. Let's man, uh, I'm going to be following you for years to come. We're going to be collaborating for years I have to a come. a choice, bro. I'm hey, already. You're my friend. You're in a headlock. You don't I'm, got any chance. <laughs> hey, I'm putting this one out into the world. For the great people of Iowa, if you live in Iowa and you're listening to this podcast, we're going to steal Ken and bring him to Iowa. We're figuring nice. that out. So, oh. so you get to hang out with, with Ken in the flesh, real, live, in action. Uh, we're going to make that happen very soon. Man, I love you. God bless you. Give my best to Crystal and the kids. Can't Dude, wait to connect so again much. soon. Thank you, brother. Appreciate man, thank you. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you, man. You've been listening to the Montgomery Companies Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. One more time, I want to say thank you to Ken Locke for your spirit, your wisdom, your counsel, um, and your time, your energy and effort. Your time is valuable, and you spent an hour with our community today, and for that, we say thank you. I also want to say thanks to our producers and hosts, John Choate and James Roth of Storyline Multimedia. We couldn't do what we do without you. Um, If you would, share this podcast episode. Um, It would mean so much to us as we move our mission of impact forward. This is a podcast designed to help leaders go farther, faster. And we want to continue to do that by sharing the message of good people like Ken Locke and putting good stuff out into the world. And so until next time, I'm Jordan Montgomery. We love you. God bless. Have a wonderful day.